Amen. Would you remain standing as we read the word of the Lord? This is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, church. How we doing? Y'all, oh, that was weak. How are we doing this morning? You good? Man, it is so good to be with you guys. Uh, man, if you are a guest with us, I want to welcome you here. And uh, man, we don't just want to know just you are here just by a new face that we don't recognize. We want to know you're here and be able to follow up with you. It's our uh, great desire here that this wouldn't just be an experience for you. We all know here in Middle Tennessee, there's all kinds of experiences that you can have, places you can go uh, to have a good time. We want you to have a good time here, but we, we our greater prayer for you and your family is that this place would be home. And so we want to be able to follow up. Up with you. I want to ask just a favor from you at this time. If you are a guest with us, there's a little blue card around you somewhere. There's also a number that'll be on the screen called a connect card. If you'll just take a few moments during the sermon, fill that out. Uh, someone from our staff will be able to follow up with you this week and answer any questions about our church. We'd love to just be able to thank the Lord for you and help you plug in uh, to this place. Again, if you're watching online, you can do the same thing. You can just text that number uh, and we'd love to connect with you as well. Uh, again, we're so thankful that you're here. And I also wanted to say this, uh, man, that card is not just for our guests. That's for anyone in this room uh, that senses the Lord doing something in your life, uh, maybe prompting your heart, prompting you to take a step this week. Um, grab that card, let us know, man. We want to follow up with you, uh, and uh, we look forward to doing so. Hey, uh, my name is Matt. If I've not met you, um, I am the campus pastor at our College Grove campus, and I think the last time I was here uh, was back in January. I think the first week of the year, um, I, was, uh, I was here with you guys, and I've been away for a long time. I had a chance to step back in and uh, fill in for for Pat, um, because God has been doing so many incredible things at our College Grove campus. Like we are super, super busy. The Lord has been blessing um, like crazy in, in, our, in our midst. We're seeing kids and teenagers and parents baptized. This last week, uh, we had uh, the opportunity to baptize a father uh, who um, previously grew up in the Catholic Church and came to faith later in life, and he was able to be baptized, get up, and then turn around and baptize his daughter. Uh, We're seeing our kids from VBS making decisions and and saying, hey, I want to I want to follow Jesus in this way. And so I just want to let you know, man, I'm here to say God is doing some incredible things just about 30 minutes from here. You don't get to see that often, um, but I want to say to you, thank you, thank you, thank you for giving. Because you give, man, we were launched. Um, Because you give, uh, we're seeing continued fruit out of that campus. God is doing incredible things um, in our our body there. And uh, and so I just want to say, man, thank you for your generosity, uh, church. You are a faithful church. Um, And because of that, God's changing lives. Amen. 
And hey, let me just invite you into this. If you're here and you're saying, hey, I've never jumped into to giving, I've never stepped in in that way, uh, man, we want to help you take that step. You can go to lifept.org forward slash give, and there's all kinds of different ways that you can. Um, you, and here's the reality. Here's what I know. If you want to give, you're going to find ways to do it. I don't have to give you the, the, all the ways to, to do that. What I would rather do is help you see a picture of what your, fa- your financial faithfulness is doing around the world and trust the Lord to bring the fruit from it. Okay, and so if you are here and you are giving, thank you. If you're not yet, jump in, uh, and we'd love to help you take whatever steps we can um, along the way. Okay, hey, if you have a Bible, hope you ha- uh, go ahead and grab it and go to Hebrews chapter 12. Um, again, today I'm uh, being able to fill in for Pat. He's working on his tan this last week. Before you can laugh about that, uh, it's not true actually. That you can laugh about that at, at lunch, but um, this is last week uh, in July. Typically takes some time away. Uh, to uh, just spend some time in prayer and planning uh, for this next uh, year ahead. And you guys all know all that this past year has um, been for him. And so I'm praying refreshment for him. It's an honor to serve him uh, in this way. Uh, But next week, I just want to let you know, next week we have an incredible new series that we're kicking off for the fall, a vision series that we're calling Find Life, Live Sent. You're like, wow, that's real creative. Um, But here's what I want you to know. This is uh, a series where we're going to talk about some direction, some trajectory, uh, some uh, just some great uh, vision and, and, and uh, um, lay out a framework for our church. And so I want to ask you, man, be here, all right? And if you have friends or family, people that are moving into your neighborhood, uh, which everybody, and they're probably from California, invite them, okay? Invite them. They need a church, all right? Invite them, bring them along with you, and we will uh, just thank the Lord for it and see what he does in this series, all right? So, um, If you are like my family right now, this is a crazy busy time of year, amen? I mean, I mean, kids are going back into school. We're trying to just soak up the last little bit of summer that we can. Uh, My family just this two weeks ago was uh, sitting on the beach um, in South Carolina. We, uh, I had never been to the East Coast uh, before. We'd always vacationed in the Gulf. Uh, Middle Tennessee just kind of transplants to uh, PCB and Destin uh, in the summer. Um, but this time we decided to kind of venture a different route. Um, we were able to go on vacation with my, with my in-laws and uh, my brother-in-law and his, his wife and, and son. And so we went to uh, South Carolina. We were sitting there. Uh, on the beach and having just an incredible time. The life got super, super hectic. I'll mention a little bit more about that at the end of the service. But uh, man, we went to Hilton Head this year. First time I've ever been there. Anybody ever been to Hilton Head? Okay, awesome. Um, well, here's the deal. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know what to expect. Um, we, uh, we did all the things, right? Like we, we went and had some incredible seafood. We, uh, we, we did some like crab hunting at night. Uh, we, um, man, we, we just did, we had zero um, schedule, which is new for, for me. My mom is like a, a freak when it comes to itineraries. And so uh, there was none with the other side of the family. We just sat on the beach with no uh, plan, nothing that we were trying to get to for the day. We just sat there and took it in. We like bobbed out in the, in the water just, in, just for hours and hours and hours. And we also did this thing that you have to do, I guess, when you go to Hilton Head, which is ride bicycles. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And uh, here's what I learned on this vacation. Uh, maybe you've seen these memes at times. It's like uh, what you thought and what you got. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all are like, yeah, you see my husband, right? What, what I thought. And what, that's a joke, that's a joke. Uh, and what I got, right? 
what I thought and what I got. You know, we, um, before we went, we, there was all kinds of Pinterest uh, pictures and, and uh, TikTok videos, all that stuff that my wife was showing me about what you got to do when you get to Hilton Head. And one of those things just consistently was you got to ride bikes, man. You got to ride bikes. You got this, I mean, these, all these pictures of these perfectly polished and put together families just so enthusiastic about the day. Uh, just, you know, taking these bicycle trails through these, uh, these, these concrete paths, just meandering through the pines with the, with the uh, Spanish moss just draping over it. Everybody's enjoying it, enjoying life, excited about the day. That's what we thought we were going to get, right? Now, we got there, but at the beginning, that wasn't the case. We all got our bikes. We, we, uh, we got there. We reserved all the bikes, paid an arm and a leg for them, uh, and then we, uh, we all load up on our first bike adventure for the day, the very first uh, morning we were there. And, and so we, we set out. Now, mean, meantime, just keep this in mind, it's about 101 degrees and like uh, heat index is like 110, all right? So it's like, where are we going on a bike right now? <laughs> you know, this is not, this doesn't seem like fun, okay? And uh, my whole family's lined up. There's like, uh, I think it was nine or 10 of us at the time. Like my wife's up front and my, my father-in-law and my mother-in-law and they're all just taking off and they're, woohoo, this is so much fun, hair blowing in the breeze and all that. And I'm in the back and watching my daughter on her own little bike. Right now, she's six years old, and we take off, and 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 I'm just going to tell you, this was not fun. There was nothing fun about this. I'm on the bike, just covered in sweat and stress, watching her bounce off of everything on the trail, and I'm like, "What is happening?" We get we get back, and Tiff's like, "Wasn't that awesome?" I'm like, no, it wasn't awesome. There was nothing about that awesome, nothing. And so we uh, we got an idea. Uh, I saw, I pulled into the bike, uh, the little outfitter where all the bikes were lined up, and I saw this guy wheel this thing out of the shed, and it was one of those tandem bikes, you know what I'm talking about? It had two seats, two handles, two sets of, of pedals, and, and I was like, hey, bro, how much for the bike? <laughs> like, I don't even care, just, I need the bike. I would trade these in right now. He's like, no, you can just take them. We'll just swap them out real quick. And it was awesome. Right? My daughter got on the back, and that's when the fun began. Like, all she had to do was literally just hold on to the handlebars and just watch Daddy do the work. Right? She's on the back, and, and I would pedal. She would look, look to me. i say, hey, when I pedal, you pedal. So, and then you got this little kick of speed. It was awesome. Right? And then, like, I was like, when I lean, you lean. Right? When I, when I, when I tell you to stop, you stop. Like, this is, this is all you have to do. And, and honestly, at that point, it got really, really awesome. And we, we got to go places really, really fast. We went really, really far, and there was zero stress on the way. Now, I say that story up front because I think there's something to this uh, when we get to Hebrews chapter 12. The writer here, the, the pastor, the preacher of Hebrews 12 is, is trying to impress something on us, I think, with a similar feel. He's just got done talking about for a whole chapter 11, all of these heroes of our faith, all of these men that have come before us, all of these uh, incredible titans that, that we remember from VBS and the felt boards, and we can just quote the stories of. We talk about Abraham and, and Moses and Noah, and we can remember their faith. And, and the, the writer of Hebrews says that these men have went before us, and, and they, have, they have lived a life by faith, and that's why they land in this story. And he goes on here at the beginning of chapter 12, and he says, Therefore, since you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, since you're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, last week, I believe, 
you talked about or two weeks ago when David was here, he, he began to unpack this idea of these, this cloud that goes before us, this cloud of witnesses, this cloud of faithful men and women who have run the race well. Again, we think of the Abrahams and the Moses and the Noahs of the Bible, the David. We think about the lives of faithful missionaries who have went before us, who have laid down everything, literally sold their, all of their possessions to take the gospel to places it, it is not reached. We, we think about the, the, uh, uh, the family and the friends who have left a legacy of faith before us. And what the writer says is, look, you don't have to run this race alone. You don't have to live this life of faith for Christ on your own. You don't have to blaze a trail no one's been before. He says there is a cloud of witnesses that you can continue to look to. That you can look to them and their example and allow it to encourage you. You see what the, the writer of Hebrews was doing was this was probably a sermon preached um, to, to a church that was being persecuted. They were being hammered by waves of, of oppression and pressure to cave and conform to the society and the culture around them. Obviously, you think about it, in this church, there were men and women who were considering, considering if this was even worth it anymore. There were people beginning to wave the towel. There was probably apathy beginning to set in, discouragement beginning to take over. They were contemplating the cost of all of this. And so what the writer does here is he, he wants to breathe life into these brothers and sisters. He wants to see them not tap out but run faithfully. And so he says, consider the cloud. Look ahead at the one in front of you. Look at those who have went before you. But here's the thing, he knows that the cloud of witnesses would be great inspiration. But at some point that would tarry. At some point the cloud of witnesses, when you get hit in the mouth over and over and over, it's like, yes, but here's where I am today. I get that Moses was able to make it. I, I get that Noah was able to be faithful to do the things that God called him to do. But man, this hurts today. Maybe you're here today and you, you're in your life, you feel as though you're being hit in the mouth with some things. I mean, there's some medical things that have probably fell in your plate. There's some life circumstances that have just happened. You didn't see it coming. You couldn't forecast it. But by grannies, it's here, right? It's in your lap. You feel it. You're having to walk in it and navigate life through it. And it's discombobulating. It's, it's, it, it, you can't understand how to make sense of it. You don't know how to navigate it. What the writer of Hebrews wants to say over your life is that if there is one you can look to this morning, in the midst of every trial, in the midst of every hardship, there is one that we can fix our eyes on as we come to the end of this series. There is one church that we can lock our hearts on, that we can fix our gaze to, that will help us run our race faithfully. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So this morning as we close this thing up, we close out this series by faith. This is what I want to talk about. I want to call us to look to Jesus this morning. In this season and every season, today and every day of our lives. There's three things when we look at this, uh, this text this morning, just real quickly, three things that I want you to see that real faith shows us. Real faith fights, real faith endures, and real faith looks to Jesus. It looks to Jesus today and every day. So first thing I want to see is real faith Fights. If you look at the very first verse there in chapter 12, it starts off like this. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race set before us. So if you follow the argument that the writer is making here, he starts off like this. He says, since you have this, since you have this, um, this clout, since you have this testimony, since you have this overwhelming witness of faith from these great men and women who have gone before you, he says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. You see, the, the language here is athletic. The, the language here is one of a, a race that was planned, that is set before you. You have this imagery that kind of invades this passage of a coliseum, of, of, of uh, an athletic game, of a competition that's happening. And he says that if we're going to be a people who run this race before us, we've got to be a people who not only run because we see the cloud around us that's calling for a faithfulness in our lives, but we've got to discipline ourselves in the midst of it, preparing ourselves for a life of faith. And the way we do that, he says, is by getting rid of the baggage and the weights that are slowing us down. You see, the Christian life is a marathon. It's, it's not a sprint. The last thing we need, if we're going to run any race, I'm not a runner. I don't run unless I'm being chased, right? But, uh, but maybe you, that's your thing, right? Maybe you do run. But listen, if you're training for a race, you might run with a, with a rucksack on your back. You might run down, the, you know, down your, uh, your neighborhood driveways or whatever with, with your little weights in your hands, whatever. But if you're in a race, man, you ain't carrying weights. You want to run light, don't you? This is what he has in mind. He says, if we're going to run this race now, then we have to remove that which is weighing us down. You know, I, I'm, I'm still in the vein of, of the beach. Everything in my mind right now is just thinking about it. And, and if you've recently gone to the beach, then maybe, especially my fellows in the room are going are to go somewhere with me. You're going you're to understand this. Um, in my family, there's this process that I loathe every time I go to the beach. It's in the mornings. Um, you got to, while my wife is getting up and having her coffee and just sipping, watching the dolphins, like I'm, I'm getting the, the, uh, the chairs and the umbrellas and the sand toys and four boogie boards and the scuba gear and all the stuff. And you're putting it in the, uh, in the wagon and you're pulling it across the sand and you realize that the, the wheels are too small for the sand. And so then you're just dragging it and it's just impossible to go stake your claim on a little four by four spot of, uh, of sand, right? This is what I'm doing while my wife and them are enjoying the AC. Anybody in the room can relate with me today. Okay. Amen. Right? Now, I'm not bitter, okay? I'm not bitter. I'm just saying that this is the imagery you've got to think about when we come to this passage. Like the, the writer is saying that, listen, if you're going to run, there is some unnecessary baggage that you're carrying around with you. It's not hard to understand that if we're going to be a people that aren't just trudging through life, but running the race, We've got to do it lightly. We've got to lay some things aside. Now, you don't have to be Greek to understand that, man, if we're, going to, if we're going to run with Jesus, it's impossible if we're walking in sin. This is what the, 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 the passage says. It says that there is, these, there is sin that clings to you, and it does so closely. So walking 
in sin and running with Jesus are incompatible. We can't fully worship Jesus. Listen to me. If we've got our hearts packed with idols this morning, we can't fully keep our eyes on Christ like this text calls us to if we're constantly giving them to materialism or lust. I mean, our lives won't run after the things of Jesus if we do like Psalm 1 and we find ourselves walking in the way of the wicked or sitting in the seat of scoffers, or, or, or I'm sorry, standing in the way of sinners or sitting in the seat of scoffers. If we're going to be a people, man, who run hard after Christ, here's the call. We have got to kill sin in our lives. We've got to be a people who are radical about it. I mean, we go to great lengths to remove it. The point is, if we're going to be a people full of faith, we've got to be a people that make room for it. And some of you are carrying some things in your life right now. And you're weighed down like you're making your way to the beach with umbrellas and chairs on your back. You're loaded down like a pack mule right now. And you're loaded down with guilt and you're loaded down with shame. And you're loaded down with all of these encumbrances, some translations say, that are keeping you from what God has for you. They're keeping you from running faithfully. And the way that we make room for the faith that God wants to bring out of our lives is by radically, faithfully, and obediently casting them off. We cast these things off. But I want to make sure you hear this. It's not just sin in our lives that we consistently, and this, that you never arrive in this. This is a posture I've got to have in my life and every one of our staff members and every one of our pastors have to have in our lives that we consistently wake up knowing my default position is to wake up and glorify Matt. Like my my default position is to make much of Matt. My default is to turn to all the allurements of this world and to give myself to all that the world has. So I have to continually know that there is sin that clings to me. And I have to drag it before the Lord in his word and times in prayer. And in this room, I need, I need to hear somebody three rows deep behind me singing truths about Jesus that I've forgotten. And we need to radically remove the sin in my life. This is why we need community. This is why this matters. But it's not just sin, he tells us, to cast off. The passage goes on and he says, Cast off every weight in sin. Y'all didn't hear me. Cast off every weight in sin. Do you hear that? See, there are some things in your lives that are not necessarily sins that are still keeping you from running. There, there are some things in your life that aren't necessarily bad but they're not good because they're keeping you from best in your life. I love how John Piper says it. He says it like this. The, the worst question, it's not good enough to ask this question, right? It's not good enough to ask the question, is it sin? That, that, that's, that, that is like the lowest question we can ask when it comes to the Christian life. Like, God, is this sin? Like, like I, I want to go do this. Is this, is this sin? It's like figuratively in our, in our spiritual lives, a lot of times we want to do this. Like this is the line of holiness like here and sin here. And so we just like to go, you know, like we just want to walk that line as tight as we can instead of saying, God, not is it sin, but look at me. Does it help me run? 
Does it help me run? Does this thing keeping me in lockstep with the Lord, does it give me energy for Jesus? Does it quicken my spirit and give me thoughts of Christ? Does it produce holiness in me? Man, does it get me excited about the kingdom of God in my life? Let, 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 me, let me say it this, this way. Faithfulness to Jesus is not just about not being in trouble. Right? Faithfulness to Jesus is about purging anything that's getting in my way of where Jesus wants me to go. The things that get in our way of greater holiness in our lives. The, the things that get in our way of greater purity. The things that get in our way of greater commitment. Of a, of a more fulfilled and, and God-honoring marriage. Things that get in my way of greater and more intentional parenting. You see, maybe your job provides well for you, but does it help you run? Let, let me say it this way too. If your job provides well, but it's stripping you from every bit of your intentionality with your family, you can't lead them, you can't be present for them, it's pulling you away from the gathering, then maybe that's not the job for you. You're not running. And we've not been called to limp. We've been called to run. Maybe the team that your kids made is prestigious. Right? Like all the scouts are going to see it. But you spend 35 weeks of the year on the road away from church. Is it helping them run? Maybe the shows that you watch, the songs that you sing, the places that you go, they're not overtly sinful. But do they help you run? Are they helping you run? Are they creating deeper and greater hunger for Jesus? Are you, is your heart beginning to beat faster for the things that God's heart beats for when you go these places, do these things, participate in this stuff? You see, I can't imagine that my speech is seasoned with grace when I continually sing songs laced with profanity. I can't imagine that my eyes are open for gospel opportunities around me when they're just constantly locked on a screen. So again, is, is a phone overtly sinful? No, but if all it does is it grips your attention, it robs from you time when your kids are growing up in front of you and, and they need someone to lead them, if it's causing you to sit and just veg out on the couch watching 15 episodes of whatever on Netflix and you're just continually just bypassing your God-given duty to lead your family in discipleship, then maybe it's not helping you run. And so this is what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, listen, if we're going to be a people who run, if we're going to be a people who, who finish the race well, we have got to be passionate about the fight in front of us. Are you fighting church? John MacArthur says it like this, the problem is not what the weight is. The problem is what the weight does. What's that weight in your life today? Don't answer it for your husband or wife. This is introspective. This is soul work. What's the weight in your life that's keeping you from running? And maybe today, just maybe, maybe the reason you're stuck this morning in your spiritual walk, maybe the reason you've not grown much in this last year, maybe the reason you feel stagnant Maybe the reason you're apathetic. Maybe the reason it's easy for you to get up and bypass the gathering. Maybe the reason your Bible continues to collect dust. 
isn't because there's sin necessarily that you're littered with, but because there's a weight that you're carrying. You're carrying something you shouldn't be. And like trudging through sand, loaded down like a pack mule, you're just dragging this thing along. And today what the writer of Hebrews says, hey, brother, sister, if you want to run, cast this weight aside. Bring this sin before the Father. Experience forgiveness. Experience grace. Let him carry that weight upon his shoulders so that you might run into everything he has for you. Secondly, I want you to see this. So the question then is why fight? So if we're going to run, we've got to fight, but why? Why, well, why, are we gonna, why do we have to fight? Why? The second piece is this, because real faith endures. You see, if, if we're going to, if we have to fight, we fight so that we can endure. Look what it says. It says in that passage, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And then it goes on and says, and let us run with endurance. Do you see it? Run with endurance the race is set before us. The call isn't to just run, to come out of the gate hot with a wet baptism shirt and a life group and then find yourself with apathy and and a lackluster commitment to Christ in three years. That's not the call. The call is for commitment. The call is to finish. The call is to run with endurance the race before us. This is the major imperative of this section, to run with endurance. The text says to cast off those weights, to lay aside those sins, to fight that sin in your life so that you can run the race before you. You see, the goal of the Christian life, again, is to finish well, to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, to look like Christ more and more before we see Christ and take as many people with them before we get there. That's the goal of the Christian life. Right, and again, so, so maybe you came out with great intentions. Like some of you, you just went to camp, and you said, yes, Lord. You had your hands raised, you came, you got dunked in a, in a horse trough, and everything was good. But, but then you went back, you got your phone back, you started going to a couple parties on the weekend, and, and now it's like, where was that? Maybe you're here, and it's like, that's your story. It's like, man, at VBS when you were seven, and you're, now you're 57, And man, you remember a time when you were running with Jesus. You were serving. You were leading. You were discipling. But something happened in your life, and you're like, where did, how did we get here? Maybe it's weight. Maybe it's sin. We have to fight that. We have to cast those things aside so that we might endure. You know, there's a lady in our church. um, I had the I had the honor of uh, walking her through the last um, season of her life, uh, and she she went home uh, to be with the Lord in late May. And her name was Risa Cox. Risa and Phil Cox were some of the first members of LifePoint College Growth, believe it or not. And Risa was uh, a realtor. I mean, just five foot three, hundred and twenty pounds, soaking wet, but could. I mean, go. I mean, she was just running on fuel nonstop. Um, always in church, always serving, always had the spirit of just, uh, Lord, whatever you want from me. And uh, I remember Risa calling me and letting us know that she had um, come down with pancreatic cancer. 
And, uh, you know, so we, we prayed, we trust the Lord that he would heal. Um, we, we desired his will in her life and God's will wasn't to, to heal her. Um, and so as it progressed, uh, she had us over for dinner, me and Tiffany and, and my daughter Lottie, and we, we sat around the table. And, uh, and the thing that struck me about her was that as we would sit there and talk about just her life and her testimony, and she would share about her family, and she would share about this next season that she was going to step into. Listen to me, there was almost giddiness in her voice. She, she said that, Matt, I, I don't care what the Lord does with this cancer. I just want him to use it. I don't care if he takes me. I don't care if he heals me. All I care is that, Lord, that you use this. And I, and I told her, I said, I said, Risa, when did you come to know the Lord? And she said, when I was a little girl at VBS. My, my family raised me in the church, and I haven't left it since. And here's the thing I want, I, I tell you that story today because Risa endured in her faith. Risa heard the words, well done, good and faithful servant. To her last breath, it was always only about Christ. It was only always about the Lord being used, the Lord's kingdom being built, and her life was evidence of that. And she didn't just get to the end of it, get to report and say, oh man, I'm going to start packing it in now. Where's the study Bible? I want to get serious about church. Like, that, that's not how that happened. Risa made steady contributions to her faith, deposits, uh, investments in her spiritual life throughout her 60 years of living. And so that when hard times come, when trials stepped into her life, when she was staring down death itself, listen, she said, I'm ready for this next season because I've been walking with Jesus this whole time and he's gonna hold my hand into whatever's next. That's endurance. That's what it means to endure in the faith. You gotta think about who it is that Paul's talking to, if Paul's the writer, you gotta just let, let out the cards here. The writer of Hebrews, you gotta think about who he's talking to. He's talking to Christians who literally didn't know if this was worth it anymore, who, who, who weren't celebrated by the mass of culture and society but who were literally being drug out of homes, being persecuted, being killed. Things weren't going well. There was a friction against them and their way of living and their, and their core beliefs in this moment. And yet still, he says, endure, persevere, continue, press on. That's enduring faith. When it hurts, when it's hard, in the midst of pushback, when it costs everything, still you run day by day, one step after the other, consistent, steady obedience over the long haul because we believe Jesus is worth it. That's endurance. Let me ask you, what about you today? Are you enduring? Are you running a race or has something knocked you off track? Maybe it's discouragement. Maybe, again, it is a difficult set of circumstances that you've been it caused you to start questioning God's faithfulness in your life. Maybe, again, you started strong, but you've been bogged down by something in your life. God's called us to endure. But how do we get there? It's the last point of this sermon. We look to Jesus. The only way. The only way we look, the only way we endure, the only way we finish the race is if we look to Jesus. Look at verse 2. 
So he says, lay aside every weight and sin and run with endurance the race set before you. And here it goes, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The writer says, if we're going to exercise the kind of faith, man, that this entire series has been built on, if we're going to be that kind of people that don't just man, come out of the gate like strong and then, and then sputter out when we get to college or when, when life hits us in the mouth, if we're going to be a people that affect change in our homes and are known and, and remembered, if we're going to be, let me say this, a part of the cloud before your kids one day, before your grandkids one day, we got to be a people who look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. You see, in the same way that Lottie had to keep her eyes on me while I did all the work, we're called to keep our eyes on Jesus, to look to him, not just for a moment of faith, but for every moment of faith, and to never turn away from him. The passage says, lay it aside, run with endurance, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The reason he includes this is because, listen, we, we might leave here and say, okay, um, so, so I got this race to run, and it's up to me to get there. Right? It's up to me in, my, in what I have, in, in my strength, in my abilities, in my commitment to get there, to get to the end of my life faithfully. You would be greatly mistaken the point of this passage. You see, the reason he says Jesus, the founder of our faith, is because you bring no faith to the, to the exchange. Any faith that we, um, we exhibit in our lives, any faith that we exercise in our lives was first a deposit given to us. He, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is a perfect case for this. It says, for by grace you have been saved through, here it is, faith, and this is not your own doing. What is not your own doing? The faith that you put in Christ. It is the free gift of God. Here it goes, not a result of works so that no one would boast. Here's the point. You have faith today, if you have faith today, because Jesus gave it to you. All faith is God's faith. It's Christ's faith. He is the great pioneer of our faith today. But not only that, he's the perfecter of our faith today. Meaning he is the one we look to, to build our, our, our faith through hardships, through trials, through, uh, through doubts. Jesus is the founder and perfecter church, the one we are to look to. I love the original language here. I'm going to close on this thought. In the original language, it says looking to Jesus. That, that word looking means to turn away from something towards another thing. It's a, it's a compound verb. It means to turn away to a thing and focus intently on it. To, to lock eyes on this thing, not so that you are ignoring the things around you. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying ignore that you're walking through a cancer diagnosis. He's not saying ignore that, uh, that you're being persecuted. He's not saying ignore that you have kids that are off the rails or you're in the middle of a, of a fight through infertility or whatever. He's not saying ignore that. That's not what he's saying. He's saying get your eyes up on something better. That's the point. It's that you are so intently gazing at something that everything else around you, although it's there and although it's real and although it's heavy, it just fails in comparison to the greater thing that's got your eye. Man, we ought to look to Jesus. If we have any shot, if we have any shot at being faithful to the end of our days, if we have any shot, 
and living lives that are remembered, that leave legacy. If we're going to be people of real faith, we too, church, have to look to Jesus. Let me just ask. It begs the question. What are you looking at today? Man, what has your eye this morning? What is the thing of your supreme focus? Look at me. Not that Jesus is one amongst many things that you're looking at. But is he the thing of supreme focus? Does he have all of your attention? All of your heart? Or is it your job? Is it another experience? Is it a boyfriend, a girlfriend? Another hit, another high? What is it? And, and this, see how this plays out. Because when we look to Jesus, when he has all of our attention, when he has all of our affection, when he is the greater surpassing beauty in our lives than all the other things that we begin to throw in the wagon and pull behind us, they seem less significant. Right? This is the idea of how we actually begin to fight sin in the first place. We don't fight it because we get, man, we just get really motivated because of a sermon and we say, okay, I'm going to go home and kill this porn addiction. I'm going to go home and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop uh, lusting. I'm going to go home and I'm going to stop being angry all the time. I'm going to give over my greed. That's not how it happens. Just in our, our desire and our just like pulling our bootstraps up and, and really trying harder. That's not how you sustain that kind of of sin killing. The way that we kill sin is by getting a superior affection. We, we look to Jesus and we say, Jesus, you're better. You're greater. You're more. You're more satisfying. You're more filling. You are better. And then I look at the materialism and I look at the job that's had my heart and was truly an idol. And I look at the out, the bits of anger and, and feuding with my wife because I wanted to get the last word or I wanted to be served. I wanted to serve justice in my home. And I said, no, but Jesus, you're better. And those things begin to fade. So look, if we're going to be a people by faith that run this race before us with endurance and we stay on this race until we hear the words, good and faithful servant, well done. We've also got to look to him. And so right now, we're going to move into a time of response. The band's going to come, and we're going to set up a time where Jesus knew. Look at me. He knew our hearts. He knew that we would give ourselves over to staring and, and being uh, just caught up with and, and enticed by so much of the world. And so he said this. He, he gave the church something to practice, and that every time we did it, we would find ourselves looking to Jesus. Communion. The Lord's Supper and the deacons are going to come now and begin to pass these elements. And as they do, here's what I want to do. The, the scripture tells us before we come to this table, before we take these elements, before we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, that first what we ought to do is look inside of ourselves and say, Lord, where have I failed you? Where have I fallen short? What sin in my life have I not handed over to you? This would be a great time also to say, God, what weight is, is present in my life that I'm carrying around that's keeping me from running today? Not is it sin, but what's keeping me from running the race you have before me today? Is it comfort? Is it an idol? 
What is it? So as the deacons pass our, our communion now, I'm going to ask you to spend some time just uh, with the Lord here. Um, and then I'll come back up in a moment and lead us through the elements.